This episode is especially dedicated to those who, like Bruce Wayne, feel like they're inside Bane's prison pit, unable to move, unable to see a way out, unable to rise. I want you to know that I, your unworthy host, am no stranger to this pit either, and that what I'll share with you is as much testimonial as it is theological. My heartfelt prayers are with you as I record this episode, and as we journey through it together. You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. Hello friends, hope you're doing well, and welcome to another episode of The Myth Pilgrim. I'm very much looking forward today to begin exploring a modern myth, the Batman Dark Knight Trilogy. Released in 2005, 2008, and 2012, respectively, the series is written by Christopher Nolan, who I feel is one of the best directors around these days. But be not deceived by the comic book origins of the Batman character, because what Nolan has achieved with his new Batman trilogy is to represent a timeless, mythical story for a generation that is starving for them. His repackaging of classic mythical archetypes like the hero's journey, good versus evil, the quest, the wise old man, death and resurrection, etc., is why this series is so phenomenal, and places it in a different league to many other superhero movies of our era. Now, as you may have picked up from previous episodes, mythical stories always have great resonance with the Christian story. For, as C.S. Lewis once said, Christianity is the myth that became real. The life, death and resurrection of Christ is the fulfillment of all that ancient myths yearned for. And every subsequent myth after Christ necessarily flows from his story. So, before we even explore today's resurrection slash rising from the dark theme, just note how many Jesus parallels there are in this trilogy. Batman is the sole saviour of Gotham City, who, like Christ, is at one point outcast and rejected by the ones he came to save. Like Jesus, Batman inherits an empire from his father, and dedicates his life to bring about his father's legacy into the fallen realm. Batman's chief enemy is the figure of Ra's al Ghul, whose name literally means the demon's head in Arabic. During the scene where the first Wayne Manor is being destroyed by fire, rather symbolic of the Jerusalem temple, Bruce lies helpless with a beam of wood across his chest, suspiciously crucifix-like. And just as Jesus is one person with two natures, one human, one divine, Batman is also one person with two natures, Bruce Wayne and Batman. But if that's not already cool enough, one fan pointed out that the names of the top three policemen helping Batman are Peter Foley, Jim Gordon and John Blake. Peter, James and John which we know from scripture are the inner sanctum of the Twelve Apostles. Bracket, those of you who do not know who John Blake is, it's Robin. John is actually his real name. 
Okay, because the resurrection theme sprawls right across the trilogy, it would be too much to summarise the whole story here as I normally would at this stage. So I'm going to assume that you know the basic concepts of Batman, such as who Bruce Wayne is, who Alfred is, uh, how Gotham City works, and, and Batman's relationship with the policeman. If you don't, that still might be okay, but I do recommend that you watch the films after listening to this episode. Okay, so firstly, let's zoom right out and have a macro view of the pattern of the trilogy's storyline. It is very much the pattern of the birth, death and resurrection of Batman, or in biblical terms, the creation, fall and redemption of Batman, or Bruce Wayne. The first movie in the trilogy, called Batman Begins, is very much the genesis story of how Batman comes to be, and how the ordinary figure of Bruce Wayne rises up to take on the mask. Bruce's mission as Batman continues smoothly right throughout the second movie, The Dark Knight, until he meets foes and circumstances that overwhelm him and he becomes crippled. He goes into self-imposed exile and is figuratively dead until the beginning of the third movie, Dark Knight Rises. Even then, his resurrection movement isn't a smooth one, for when he demonstrates resolve to fight for Gotham City again, he is grossly outmatched by Bane and is thrown into that prison pit, the closest thing to hell on earth. From there, he must find the spiritual means to rise out of the pit and truly resurrect as the saviour of Gotham City. Much more on that later. So there's the general shape of the trilogy, one of birth, death and resurrection. Now, it is really important here to name a sort of false idea or bad theology that has crept into Catholic thinking over the last 100 years or so, When we think of the concept of death and resurrection today, most of us automatically think of either Jesus' death and resurrection or the final resurrection, that moment at the end of time where all the just will rise from their graves and be joined with God in heaven forever and ever. Amen. Now, both of these understandings of resurrection are, of course, 100% true, 100% biblical and worthy of attention. However, I want to point out that the concept we've forgotten today is that death and resurrection is also something we partake in now, in this lifetime. Resurrection should not just be understood as a one-time event that happened 2,000 years ago or something that will happen to us in the future. No, rather it is the very pattern and structure of a Christian's life. How? Well, on a basic fundamental level, to follow Jesus is to say no to doing our own will, and to say yes to doing his will. This itself involves a type of daily death and resurrection of the will. Or in St. Paul's words, to be a Christian is to voluntarily put to death the old self with all its sinful vices and attachments such as greed and anger and lust, and then to be reborn into a new self in Christ with all the virtues like love, joy, peace, etc. In the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, repentance always comes before conversion. And repentance always involves a type of dying. So far, I've only been talking about death and resurrection in terms of something we voluntarily do, something we choose to participate in. But what if, dear listener, you find yourself in a situation in which the dying process is suddenly forced upon you? against your will? What if life circumstances, such as a bad decision, a breakup or an accident, forces its way into your life unprepared? What if something happens to you that causes your world to fall apart, 
your identity to fragment and your faith to disappear. These experiences are also a kind of dying, but they are a sort of death that is much harder to accept, for we are not in control of these, and we are forced to face the abyss unprepared. But this is precisely where the Dark Knight trilogy truly shines, for in the story, Bruce Wayne is forced time and time again into that same abyss, and each time he finds a means to rise and to resurrect as a new man. It happens first when young Bruce Wayne is forced to cope with the sudden murder of his parents. In that moment, the innocent little boy dies, and a hardened adult rises to take his place. It happens again when this same adult Bruce is forced to conquer his fear of bats, along with the PTSD that bats triggered for him around his parents' death. When Bruce conquers this fear, old Bruce Wayne dies and Batman arises. Then the resurrection movement happens again when Rachel is killed by Joker and along with her any hope of a future beyond the Batman mask. When this happens, the heroic virtuous Batman dies and an angry Batman rises to take his place. When this Batman loses his first fight with Bane, it is then that his broken body and spirit is dragged out into the wilderness and thrown into that prison pit, there to endure his failure forever. But how does Bruce rise from there? Because the imagery of this scene is so profound for the spiritual life, we'll now focus the rest of the episode exploring it. Let's recount the scene first. According to Batman fandom, the pit is a prison located in the ancient part of the world, which had established such a fearsome reputation that it became referred to as the worst hell on earth. The pit is shaped like a giant well, which the prisoners were free to climb in order to attempt their escape. Like a well, the top of the pit was completely open, haunting prisoners with the light and freedom they dreamed about. As Bane explains to Batman, there's a reason why this prison is the worst hell on earth. Hope. Every man who has rotted here over the centuries has looked up to the light and imagined climbing to freedom. So easy, so simple. And like shipwrecked men turning to seawater from uncontrollable thirst, many have died trying. I learned that there can be no true despair without hope. End quote. It is Bane that first drags the semi-conscious Bruce into the prison and makes it clear that he doesn't just want him to die there, but wants him to learn the full extent of his failure. To achieve this, Bane sets up a TV inside the prison that allows Bruce to watch as Bane terrorises his beloved Gotham and causes it to tear itself apart. For five gruelling months, Bruce is haunted by this and his spirit is crushed. During this time, he happens to befriend a blind old prisoner who helps him heal his broken back and eventually becomes his one companion in the darkness. One day, this blind old man tells Bruce about the legend of the only person who ever escaped the pit, a child who Bruce assumes was Bane himself. The legend inspires Bruce to believe that escape was possible, even though everyone else who had tried to climb had failed, due to the gap between the highest two ledges being too far to jump. Bruce himself fails the jump in his first couple of attempts, plummeting back to the bottom, saved only by a crude safety rope around his waist. But after falling again and again, the following conversation takes place between the blind prisoner and Bruce. The prisoner says, You do not fear death. You think this makes you strong. It makes you weak. Bruce looks up and says, Why? 
Well, how can you move faster than possible, fight longer than possible, without the most powerful impulse of the spirit, the fear of death? I do fear death. I fear dying in here while my city burns and there's no one there to save it. Then make the climb. How? As the child did, without the rope. Then fear will find you again. Heeding these words, Bruce prepares to make one last attempt at climbing out the prison pit. Much to the surprise of his fellow prisoners, this time he rolls up food and water into a makeshift satchel and slings it onto his back, as if to say, I am going to escape this time. He rejects the safety rope offered to him and begins to make the climb, knowing that if he slips, it will certain death. The other prisoners begin to mass at the bottom of the well, there to cheer him on, chanting, Rise, 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 in a foreign language. When Bruce arrives at that final ledge where he needed to make that final leap, a flock of bats suddenly cascades out of the wall and momentarily surrounds Bruce. He is alarmed at first and instinctively cowers in fear as they flap all around him. But then he slowly stands upright and watches them disappear into the sky, leading the way to freedom. Then, closing his eyes, taking in a deep breath, he takes a giant leap across the chasm to that final ledge. He makes it, and an eruption of cheers breaks out. Bruce climbs the rest of the way out of the pit into freedom, but not before casting another rope back into the well, one that will allow the other prisoners to also emerge from hell. Okay, so much goodness can be drawn from this scene. Uh, remember how I mentioned earlier that the most difficult crosses to bear are the ones we have no control over? Well, this is where this scene truly shines. Because when life totally cripples us, we feel very much like Bruce in the pit, don't we? How did he rise from there? Well, firstly, Bruce's escape depended on him unlearning what he had previously learned. Or at least, learning properly what he had previously learned improperly. Remember that in the first movie, Bruce learned to conquer his fear. Scarecrow's gas preyed off people's fear, but Bruce was able to vanquish him, and this victory is symbolised by his embracing of his bat phobia, so much so that he actually became one with them. So you think, well done, lesson learned. Bruce has conquered his greatest fear. But then we get to this third movie where the blind prisoner tells Bruce that he must find fear again and that indeed it was impossible to make that final jump without fear. While from a simple psychological perspective, this suggests that the added adrenaline rush of fear would enable the jump, the spiritual symbolism here should not be ignored. For the greatest moments of our growth always begins with unlearning even destruction. I love the mission description that God gives to the prophet Jeremiah, where God says, Today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Notice the building and the planting bit only happens after the destroying and overthrowing and plucking and pulling down. Just as an old building must be pulled down before a new one can emerge, so it goes with our life. But when life forces us into a pit, the pit, by definition, is the place where our old life already has been destroyed, 
where our strength has already met its limit, and where our previous image of God has already been smashed. Just as the conquering of fear had served Batman for many years but failed to help him out of the pit, so too we must realize that our previous understanding of life is no longer adequate for us to resurrect from our pit. Something entirely new must emerge. And this is where the pit becomes God's greatest act of love and mercy for us. For when all we have is the darkness, the darkness becomes our ally, stripping us of everything false and transient, preparing us to be born again into something new. This is true holiness, true sanctity. It was in wrestling the darkness that Abraham becomes Abraham, Jacob becomes Israel, Peter becomes the rock, and Saul becomes Paul. The Bruce Wayne that emerged from the pit was not the same one that went in. And when the equivalent can happen to us, our pit, rather than being hell on earth, becomes for us a trampoline to heaven. Bruce's final leap between the two platforms was not his only leap of faith. The fact that he packs food supplies to bring with him and the fact that he makes the climb without a safety rope both suggest a man who is fully resolved to rise. There is no plan B, no backup option, no safety net. It was sink or swim, life or death. Now, this is actually a fantastic way to live our life and really scary too. Yet, it is only while we're in the pit that true faith can rise up. For a person cannot really claim to have faith unless he truly realizes that his entire life is dependent on God's mercy. And it is only in the pit, when the darkness has stripped us away from every other support, do we discover how much faith we actually have. Again and again, the Lord in His goodness allows me to plummet into ginormous pits, so that I may realize how much of my life has been built upon pride and control, rather than on Him. Each time this happens, it is painful, each time it is humbling, and each time, like Bruce, I realize how much unlearning I needed to do. To face one's sinfulness is as horrifying as it is liberating, and there's just no romanticizing a way out of it. But then, by his grace, I slowly rise back up, ever so grateful for the fact that, as a Christian, even what kills us can make us stronger. But know this that what took Bruce 15 minutes of screen time to achieve in reality may take months or even years for us in the real world. This is okay because Elizabeth Kubler-Ross reminds us that the most beautiful people we know are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation a sensitivity and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. I want to finish this episode by reiterating the truth that your greatest resurrection will emerge from the crosses you never asked for. And dear pilgrims, whether now or in the future, you will be given such a cross, such a circumstance that will utterly floor you. It was gifted to all the heroes in the Bible, to all the heroes in our myths, to all the saints, and it will certainly be gifted to you. That's assuming you're not already experiencing something of that pit today. There is no sugarcoating such an experience, for the real experience of it, as you'll agree, is very, very hellish. But hold firm to your faith, 
and trust that the pit is God's greatest gift of mercy for you. Befriend the gentle voice of the blind old man within, for he is like the Holy Spirit, whispering counsel to you, even in the darkness. Examine and unlearn the mistakes of your old self. Repent of your sinfulness if you need to. And as you slowly ascend, allow holy fear to fill you up once again. And along with that, the holy freedom of one who realizes that everything depends on God. And as you emerge further and further from the darkness, listen not to the voice of Bane, the devil, who barks lies at you to try and break your spirit and keep you trapped in despair. Listen instead to the gentle prayers of the spirit within you and just keep climbing one step at a time, one day at a time. Hear the chorus begin to swell of all the angels and saints surrounding you, cheering you on, chanting, Rise, rise, rise.